Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Your reading for today is from John chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he, who opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? Um, My name is Bryant. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Brooklyn. Um, Russell, our lead pastor, will be coming back tomorrow, I think. We're flying in tonight. Uh, One of those two. Um, So I have the privilege of kind of being able to share on John 11 um, today, continuing our series on Groundswell. Um, Really, like, we've been kind of trekking along the book of John and talking about what it looks like to really ask and invite Jesus and the presence of God into our life. And I know that that terminology might seem very foreign to some of us, or it might seem just kind of a typical thing that we hear at a church setting, but... Um, we really want to kind of examine if Jesus, were, if we were to walk with him, if his presence was supposed to dwell in our life and be a part of our life um, every day, not just here on the Sunday gathering, kind of getting a, you know, a pep talk and then moving out, but really what it means for the presence of God to live with us. And so um, Catherine read the passage out of John chapter 11. Um, I'm going to be touching upon different pieces throughout John chapter 11. It is a it's a bit of a long text, so obviously, you know, we don't want to be going through it verse by verse, but um, I kind of want to lay out some of the, the, the background to what's going on here. Um, and so I titled my sermon today, A Resurrected Hope. 
Um, and I want to kind of ask us this one question, um, or maybe a question to your question. How many times have we asked this line, where were you or where are you? There, uh, there's oftentimes in my life as, as a Christian, I always get to a point where I ask God, where were you? Right, like, where were you in that point in my life? Where were you in that point in my story? Where are you now? And this question became very relevant to me when um, one of my friends, like all my friends are having kids now, you know, they're, um, you know, I'm, I'm married, no kids, um, but I get to spend a lot of time with my friends' kids. And it's so, I love seeing the dynamics of a parent and a child. Um, and my, one of my friends, he has a three-year-old son, and, you know, we, we, we were at a place together, he put his son down, and his son decided to just take off and start running, right? Um, and he probably didn't even get past 10 feet, but somehow he's running, and I don't know why, children just, I guess they don't have the ability to run and look forward. Um, they're always like running and looking down, and he went straight into the door, and he starts crying hysterically, and he starts asking his dad, where were you? <laughs> right, like, you were supposed to protect me from any harm that was supposed to come my way, right? Like, why weren't you looking out for me? Uh, and this all happened in a split second. But I love that the immediate question was, where were you? Right, like, as a father, and it just shows this kind of, like, childlike trust that his son has with him as, a rela as in relating to him being a father. That you're supposed to protect me from any type of harm. You're supposed to be my watcher, right? You're, you shouldn't have allowed this to happen. And pretty much he was just pouting all day that he had a, he had a little bump on his head <laughs> that his father allowed, <laughs> right? Like it's his dad's fault. Um, and obviously as an adult, we look at that, but like, you know, look up when you run, it's not that hard. <laughs> but for, for him in the moment of just, just his knowledge and what he sees, it's his dad's fault. He should have protected him. And ironically enough, faith, our faith in Jesus can look very similar to that. When there are a lot of things that happen in our life where we feel burdened, we feel kind of like overwhelmed, or we look at past traumas or past moments in our life where it seems very dark and distant, we ask God, where were you? And even today sitting in this room, maybe we're a believer, maybe we're not. But we're asking, where are you? We, we like to believe that we're independent, but at the end of the day, there's this hope that somebody is looking out for me. Somebody is watching out for me. Whether it's a parent, a friend, whether it's a sovereign being, whether it's a, it's, it's a, it's a society that we trust, a community that we, we ask to be a part of, where were you? Where are you? And in John 11, it's, it's interesting because um, I think it was a couple of months ago, I preached out of a piece of this text. And to give some contextual understanding of what's going on in John chapter 11, um, Jesus hears news that his friend Lazarus is sick and dying. So he, re he receives this news. The sisters Mary and Martha tell, uh, send the messengers pretty much and say, Jesus, hey, our brother is dying. We need you to come. He is sick. He is not well. And in John eleven four, 4, it's not up there, but it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So this is the first claim that Jesus says, 
no, he's sick, but he will not die, right? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And this is an interesting part. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So Jesus hears the news that Lazarus is like near death. And it's like, we're going to just chill here for about two more days. Like when we hear urgent news, right? Like if I hear a family member is in the hospital for whatever reason, I'm not going to be like, I'll see you in two days. I'm rushing out. You know, um, my mom, she called me one time because she ended up like pulling a disc in her back. And she was on the bathroom floor calling me saying, I can't get up. And she lives in Flushing, Queens, and I was in, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, where I live. I would never say to my mom, hang in there for two more days. I'll come get you. <laughs> you know, it was just, I immediately canceled all plans, rushed out, took her to the ER, right? But here, interesting enough, Jesus says, we're going to be here for two more days and then we'll go. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. So Jesus claimed, we're going to go back to Judea. We're going to eventually go back. And his disciples are like, they tried to kill you there. You're not welcome there. Are you sure you want to go back? And then Jesus eventually says, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So now they pretty much have to make a decision. And this is the second time Jesus says, He's, he might die, but I'm going to awaken him. And in verse 14, he then told his disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And we're going to come back to that piece a little bit later. Um, but I just want to make a side commentary in verse 16. Um, it's about Thomas, one of his disciples. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I just find that very interesting. Because here's Thomas is like, all right, I guess we're going to just go die with him. Let's just go. <laughs> Right? You kind of always have that one person in the friend group that's making those snarky comments on the side. Right? If he wants to die, let's just all go with him. And so they're, in, they're going back to Judea where Lazarus is. And so at this point in the text uh, that Catherine read for us, Jesus is sitting outside the village. Because he knows once he enters in, it's going to be a storm. There's going to be people trying to kill him, trying to riot. So he's just kind of standing outside of the village. And one of the sisters, Martha, she steps outside. She, she sees Jesus because she hears that he's here. So she goes out to see him, right? And in verse 21, Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you have been here, my brother would not have died. It's very interesting because there's this level of faith that Martha has. Jesus, if only you were present, this terrible situation would not have happened. Jesus, only if you were present, things could have turned around. But now he's dead. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And now this is the third claim by Jesus saying, your brother will rise again. And here's the thing. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So this, if you look at Martha, she has tremendous faith. A, she has faith that if Jesus was present, he could have healed. 
and save them from death. But then now she has this eternal faith that, hey, I know at the day of the resurrection, there will be an eternal life that I'll get to see him. And many times when we look at the Christian faith, we kind of see it as those two ends of those two extremes. If Jesus, you were present, this wouldn't have happened. Okay, well, you know what? At the eternal life, everything's gonna be good. But there's this middle piece, this life that we, we, just, we just ignore, that we can just totally glance over. And Jesus makes a statement, and this is a very bold statement in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. No one who believes in me, the one, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It says, I am the resurrection. If you look at it any other way, this can become a very pretentious statement. Like he is claiming an entire event. Like I am it. I am the resurrection. And this is a very bold claim because, you know, many times, whether we're a faith or not, there will be a lot of places and a lot of people that will tell us how to gain access to a life of resurrection. We will, get, we will receive many, many commentaries on how we can achieve this kind of life, and a longer lasting life, a renewed life. And people will give us methods, they'll write books on it, they'll give us formulas, they'll give, give us all these strategies on how to live this resurrected new life. But here Jesus says, I'm not gonna just show you, I'm gonna tell you, I am the resurrection. And we can look at that statement and be like, Jesus, that's good for you. You are the resurrection. And in hindsight, if we look at the Christian story, we can tell, obviously, hey, he died and he resurrected. I mean, that's what, that's what Easter is all about, right? He died and he resurrected. But at this point in the story, when he says, I am the resurrection, what does that mean for us? How is it good news to us that he is the resurrection? And so the story continues, and eventually the other sister, Mary, comes out to Jesus. And then Mary begins to ask, where were you? The same, in pretty much the same pretense as Martha, where were you? If you were here, my brother would not have died. And for a moment, I want us to kind of just put aside most of our skepticism and just imagine the grief Right? It's been four days. Jesus st stuck around for two days, and I guess it took two days to get there. But it's been four days since Lazarus has died. And in Jewish tradition, there's a, there's a week-long mourning period where people come visit, and that's another whole thing. But Mary and Martha, they've, they've, they've lost their brother, and it's been four days. Imagine the death and the grief. And I don't know if you ever experienced a loved one passing away, or a friend, or a family member. And the last time I preached this text was actually shortly after I lost a friend. And there's a passage that comes later on where in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It says he was overwhelmed by all the people coming, crying to him. He was overwhelmed by the grief of losing his friend. And he wept. And I talked about how Jesus doesn't just ignore our grief and our pain. And I've been to too many funerals where all good intentions, but the officiant of the funeral will say, do not be sad, rejoice because there's a resurrection. 
And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> I've been a Christian for most of my life. I like to preach on this stuff. But in this moment, there's this grief, there's this emptiness. And no matter how we look at it, we could say there are things worse than death. But there's something frightening about losing someone. There's a great tragedy that happens in death because we feel robbed. We feel, we feel like something has just been taken from us that can never come back. The past memories, the present memories, and the possibility of future memories. There's a deep void and emptiness and a disbelief. And for me, I was in a period where I just could not believe that I couldn't call my friend, text my friend, or visit him. There's this emptiness and just anger and pain. And I want you to imagine where Mary and Martha is. They've seen who Jesus is. They've seen him heal the blind, heal the sick over and over again. And honestly, if I'm Mary and Martha, they're more composed than I am. I'll be angry. I'll be over the top. You heal all these strangers, but you couldn't heal your friends. You prevented death from all these people. You gave them a new life, but our brother is dead and you weren't even here. I'm gonna be honest, the faith of Mary and Martha is far greater than mine. Because the reality is, Jesus could have healed. And as the crowds go see Jesus, some say, see how he loved him. But then others say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And maybe it's not death that we experience, maybe not physical death, but maybe there are moments in our past, in our history, in past relationships, in our childhood, in our, in our, in our, in our, in our workspaces, where we ask Jesus, Could you, couldn't you have avoided all this for me? Couldn't you have taken all of this away? Couldn't you have fixed this situation? Why did I have to go through this in my past? Why is this memory still so painful? Could you not have healed? Could you not have res res rescued me? It's a painful place that they're in right now. A place full of questions. And many of us encounter moments in our life, if only you were there. Right? But what I didn't preach and teach in the last time I shared this text was probably the, one of the most important parts. The story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. See, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, it's not just this theological church term that we label him. It's not just a claim that he's making. There's this, there's, there's this unique power that lies through that relationship, through that claim. See, I mentioned before that Jesus said, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. 
Jesus is trying to show his disciples something. He is trying to show his, the, the, the crowds something they may not have seen. They knew that Jesus healed. They knew that he could prevent disease. He can restore. But he wanted to demonstrate that my powers are not limited. That my powers go beyond death. And so as painful as it is, you know, we think that Jesus sometimes can just be very vindictive, right? You just want to, you just want to watch me suffer, right? I remember I was talking to one of my friends and he mentioned that sometimes he feels like Christianity is God playing Sims. Um, and if you don't know what Sims is, it's, a, it's essentially a computer game that you kind of create your best life now. You know, you build a house, you control people, you know, like, and he's like, that's how I imagine God operating. And I was like, I can see that. <laughs> but at the same time, here in this passage, we see that Jesus is not a vindictive God. He's not just out here trying to play games. He, he wept. He felt grief. He felt loss. He was overwhelmed. His heart was aching. But even in allowing his friend to die and being in that pain, he made multiple claims in this journey in these four days that I'm not going to leave him there. And I love 49 when Jesus said, did I not... Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He says, did I not tell you that if you believe that I am the resurrection, you're going to see something far beyond your imagination. You're going to see a miracle occur. And for many of us, including myself, I need to, I need to like rationalize things before it becomes like this miracle to me. Like when I see something, when I hear stories of the supernatural, of the, as something just deeply like out of this world, I'm super skeptical, right? I lean towards the side of it's not real. It didn't really happen. Whenever I see based on a true story, I'm like, this did not happen, <laughs> right? Maybe like 2% of the story, but it definitely did not happen this way, Right? And I, I, can't, I can't blame the disciples and the followers that even though Jesus says, you're going to see a miracle, you're going to see a miracle. They're like, yeah, but he's dead, <laughs> right? Like he's, he's like, he's been dead for four days. It's not like he's a fresh body, right? It's been four days. They've been mourning. They, they buried him. He's in the tomb. And then Jesus in 43 says, Lazarus, he says, roll the stone. And then he calls out, Lazarus, come out. And spoiler alert, <laughs> the dead men came out. His hand and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, the resurrection, the power of his claim, is that if we enter into relationship with Jesus, all that he claims to be, we inherit. We get to experience the power behind the voice of him saying, Lazarus, come out. And I don't know if you've ever experienced the moment of vicariously living through somebody else. Um, for me, it usually comes through sporting events, 
Um, people don't know why I'm so invested in games. Um, and usually I don't go to sporting events with many like, new friends because there's a side of me that comes out that's not so um, pastoral. <laughs> but if you get a chance today, and hopefully you will, um, the New York City Marathon that's happening today, I won't lie, I'm not a runner. My wife is convincing me to do a one-mile run. There is such a thing as a one-mile run, and I will not. <laughs> um, if you want to know where she is right now, she is running the New York City Marathon. All right, yeah. Um, she ran it for the first time last year. Thank you, thank you. See, I'm like vicariously living through her experience while she is suffering on this trail. <laughs> um, but... Uh, the marathon runs right in front of our house. So conveniently last year, I just stayed in my home until her tracking number came around, came out, cheered her on. <laughs> um, but it's this unique experience where like, as you see all these runners running, like you're like, I want to run. <laughs> Very short-lived, but I'm like, I think I could do this. <laughs> but there's, a, there's, this, there's this experience in all of us where when we see something amazing happen, it inspires us. It moves us. And here Jesus is saying, through this miracle, I'm not just telling you that I can do it, but the power that I have of calling Lazarus out of his tomb, the power of the resurrection, is not just for the past. It's not just for future eternal implications. Like Martha has missed but it's for us now. And what does that look like? See, the resurrection is not just specific to physical death. The purpose of this miracle wasn't just to bring Lazarus back out so Jesus can still have a friend to hang out with. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to let people know that in his present time, that we have the power of the resurrection. See, when Jesus calls out Lazarus from the dead, he renders death powerless. And you know how I mentioned in that moment of grieving, it feels like we're powerless. When you're experiencing death, there's no dignity. There's no shame. When you're experiencing death, there's this emptiness. And a lot of preachers, they love preaching out of the passage saying, oh, death, where is your sting? Right, it's a famous passage that Apostle Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? And you, we feel victorious, but I'm still staring at someone, at someone who, had, who has died. It's right there in that casket. Death is right there. But in the resurrection, Jesus does this marvelous thing. He takes something that is painful, that is supposed to rob us, to leave us in, co in complete pain and suffering, something that's supposed to totally paralyze us. He says, there is hope. There is hope. There is an internal implication. I will render death powerless. And see, as he renders death powerless on his own resurrection, as he died on the cross, made that sacrifice, and as he walked out of that tomb, if he can render death powerless, 
the things that have control over our life, imagine what he can do. Imagine what he can do with this control that, that time and work and success has over our lives. That we're willing to sacrifice everything, family, friendship, our own health, to achieve something, to make a name for ourselves. And especially living in the city, um, I, I don't know, but I'm at a place where like time is more valuable than money. Giving up my time is more valuable than me thinking about my budget. My, that might just be poor like financial management, but time for me is far, by far the most valuable thing to me. And I realized that a lot of times um, when things interrupt my plans, I get very angry. Like, it triggers me. Um, even in the most vulnerable places with my wife. Um, and she'll testify this too. I, I have each day planned out from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. Every minute, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm eating, right? Um, I, I, I just have everything planned out. And the moment something comes in where it's like, hey, uh, can you come do a favor for me, right? I need you here now. My whole day is thrown off. I'm just upset for the rest of the day, right? And I realized how much control time has over my life. That I have to schedule my friends around my time, my family around my time. But I realized if Jesus can render death powerless, that control that time has over me, it's not painful for me to sacrifice for others. It's not painful for me to serve others. You know, a lot of times I won't stop and help because, not because I don't have money. I'd rather give money, but it's because of my time. I'm on my way to something. But imagine if time did not control our life. The intentionality behind relationships, the intentionality behind serving others and loving others. Wow. That's a transformed life. And as, death, as Jesus renders death powerless, he renders the insecurities, our, our thinking of not valuing ourselves enough, of feeling worthless, he renders all of that powerless. The voices, the narratives in our head and in our hearts that say that we're not good enough, we're not worthy, we're not valuable. He says, my resurrection proves that you are valuable. My resurrection proves that I wept and, and death for you. But I've also paid the ultimate sacrifice to lay down my life so that every one of us here can experience the power of that resurrection. He renders those voices in our heads and our hearts powerless. And one of the amazing narratives in the story is the journey. And I'm gonna ask if the worship team can come up. Is the journey of Jesus, of hear, from hearing the news to calling out Lazarus. And Mary and Martha, here's the thing. I'm sure when they sent out news to Jesus, it's kind of like one of those superhero films, right? Like our brother's dead. Oh, but when Jesus gets here, it's, it's gonna be perfectly fine. And a day goes by, another day goes by. Why isn't, here? He, why isn't he here yet? Hence leading to the question, where were you? But I love this idea that Jesus 
He, he was on his way. He was coming. He was, he was on his journey to enter into a situation, a circumstance, a moment of death. And maybe some of us here today, we're feeling areas of that kind of death. Or we just feel so much grief and brokenness and sorrow. Maybe it's sorrow from just feeling lonely, being far away from family and home. Maybe it's the sorrow of broken friendships, lost relationships. Maybe it's this deep sorrow and place of death where we just feel like we have no hope. Our, our debts and our loans, and we just feel buried under it. Maybe for some of us, we still feel like in a place of death from, the, from our childhood, from the broken families that we grew up in. Maybe the emotional and traumatic abuse we experienced. And we're just kind of stuck in this place feeling paralyzed in a tomb, dark and empty. But I want you to know that Jesus is on his way. He has not forgotten. He's not leaving us in that tomb empty and alone. And maybe today this idea of groundswell of Jesus being present is this. The call to Lazarus, come out. And as I was just reading this passage over and over today and yesterday in the past week, I just felt this voice and this calling to my heart, Brian, come out. Come out of your darkness. Come out of your emptiness. Come out of your sorrow and pain. We will weep together. But I will not leave you in that place. I will allow you to experience and taste the power of the resurrection. And I love the last line, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It says, take off your burdens. Take off the sorrow. Taste my joy. Experience my power. Because whatever is keeping us captive in that place, I promise you, when we enter into friendship with Jesus and we believe in him, that he is the resurrection, he'll render that powerless. Jesus is on his way. He will come and he will rescue you. That is our hope. You know, a lot of times, um, when I have discussions with friends who just ask, why, why do you still believe in this fairy tale? Why do you believe in this legend? In silly stories like resurrection. You know, I could force my skepticism into the story, but at the end of the day, I have experienced the power of his resurrection. He has changed my life around from feeling just worthless feeling a life of failure, allowing my narrative of a broken family dictate who I am and who I will become. There was a point in my life where I was afraid of marriage because like, I don't want to be like my father. There was a point in my life where I was afraid of one day becoming a father. But then Jesus entered into my life and he says, I will change that narrative. I will render your past powerless and I'll make you new. 
And I talk about the disciples too. Even Thomas. Let's just go and die with him. These people, these individuals who lacked faith, somehow, when they saw Jesus at the resurrection, nothing could change their mind. You, you can challenge me on the faith and there may be stories in here that I have a hard time wrapping my head around. But something impacted their lives where each and one of these apostles and disciples died a brutal death not denying the name of Jesus. Only the resurrection can change their mind. So today, I don't know what tomb we're laying in, bandaged up, mummified, set captive. Maybe we feel trapped by something. But I ask to take a dare, I dare say, step out of that tomb and allow Jesus to roll the stone away. Allow him to call you out. Let's take a moment just to pray today. And maybe as we pray, we're just, something is just kind of swelling up. It might be our past. It might be something presently that we're struggling with. But there is this hope is this resurrected hope that we don't just experience in the afterlife. But today at this moment, he's saying, I am here. I am the resurrection. And as, there might be some things that we're holding on to. And this moment of prayer, I, I challenge every one of us here to let that go and to see what it looks like to live in this relationship with the resurrected Savior. So let's take a moment just to pray. As you're praying, I just want you to know that Jesus is present at this moment. You might not feel it. You might still be asking him where you, where he, where you are. But see, sometimes hope looks different for all of us. Mary and Martha thought, I'm going to insert Jesus at the point of sickness so he can heal. That is my hope. But Jesus says, your hope is too small. What you're hoping for is not big enough. I'm going to show you something greater. And he waited upon the death to show them the hope of the resurrection, the power. So today, as we're just sitting here, maybe we're hoping for something. We're asking God to deliver us for something that's been setting us captive. But I want you to know, even if it's not now, Jesus is on his way. And there's a greater hope that's coming.
And as the worship team leads us into song, um, I just want to make a suggestion. If you want to just continue to pray, continue to pray. If you want to join and sing with us, that's fine too. But either, either way, I want us to know, whether we're singing or praying, that Jesus renders sin powerless. He renders death powerless. And he gives us great hope of resurrection because he is the resurrection. He won't just show us the resurrection. He says, he is, I am. And we get to experience that when we enter into friendship with him. Hey, Hope Brooklyn. Darren here, your fellow Hope Brooklynite. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're part of the community, you're aware that we've been exploring the topic of generosity and stewardship. Each week, we offer a thought to reflect on as we prepare to enter 2020, relying completely on your generosity. So have a listen to what we discussed this last Sunday, and we'll see you around the table soon. Good morning, Hope Brooklyn. Thank you so much for being here on Marathon Sunday. I think you should give yourself a round of applause for surviving the transport. My name is Darren. Uh, I'm a member of the Hope community, and um, it's so good to see you all. As you know, we are in a season discussing the topic of generosity uh, and stewardship and what it means in the Bible and also what it means here at Hope. Um, if you are visiting for the first time or you're new to the Hope community, this is just all for your information. Um, today, we actually want to dive into some of the numbers uh, behind this and uh, just walk you through that. And if you're a member of the Hope community, then um, this will be of interest to you. So as of September, um, our attendance on a weekly Sunday is typically around 140 people. Uh, so 140 adults, not counting children every Sunday. And out of the 140, we have, uh, I, believe, I believe it's 68 unique gifts. So we have 68 individuals donating and gifting every month. Uh, 35 out of the 68 are recurring. So that's about 25% of the HOPE population. And the average, flat average gift size is $164. So we know what the Bible says there's kind of this 10% rule that we'll dive into later. Uh, this would imply an average you know, compensation, average salary for the average person of around $19,000 per year. If, if times are hard right now, please come to us. We we want to help, okay? The church wants to help. Um, and, and if you're, but if you're a member of the Hope community, I think what's important is that it's, it, just to share my own story, it's very scary to give, right? We're in a city um, of unlimited expenses. We're in a city where there's always something else. And then you go online and you look at personal finance websites and they're like, hey, you should have you know, six months of emergency cash and you should have this lined up and your 401k, you should be maxing. There's all these things that we should be doing, but we're always lacking the resource to actually do it you know, completely right. So it, it's scary giving. Um, and I guess for me, um, when I, I started giving when I first became Christian and I think I shared with you last week about uh, starting my, my company and uh, I started, I, was, I became Christian and started the company at around the same time, and I started giving a tithe uh, because I just thought, look, I'm, I'm all in on this Christian thing, and if this is what Christians do, I'll do it. You know, 
for now, I'll just think of it kind of like a membership fee, right? Like to be in part of, the, part of this group. And I actually didn't know the joy of giving until it was taken away. So what happened was, uh, you know, we went through some hard times at the beginning of the company. And for, at first, I wasn't drawing a salary. And then in order to get benefits, uh, my co-founders and I started paying ourselves minimum wage. So we're making around $28,000 a year. But we're also footing the bills and the expenses of the company and out of pocket. So that added to the burden. I actually had to go to, I went to my elder of the church that I was at, and I said, hey, you know, I'm in this weird situation where I'm making some income, but it's really not enough because I have these other obligations. And he said, Darren, look, don't worry about it. You know, your token amount is acknowledged and appreciated, but just don't tithe right now. And so my, my conscience was relieved. I just put my nose back to the grindstone, you, grindstone, you keep on working, you try to win more clients, the company gets more efficient. And um, all of a sudden, and all of a sudden is in like real terms, all of a sudden it's not like minutes or seconds, but it's like months, you're not paying attention to it, but you know, the company was doing much better. And so I started drawing a full salary and then pretty soon the debt's being paid down. And I remember after my last credit card debt payment, um, a week later, I wrote my first tithing check in, in years. And at that point, I felt this tremendous joy, right? And it's one of these things, like, I think it's personal for everyone. I'm a Myers-Briggs, you know, T thinker, so, you know, it doesn't, uh, may not move me as much as more pe most people. But I just felt, you know, this is a great milestone. Um, this means a lot. And I also just felt a change in my own personal posture, right? Like, I had been in this defensive posture where I wanted to give, but I couldn't. Um, and all of a sudden, it was as if God was opening up my hands and showing me that um, walking in his faith, you know, led to this. And so I think that's the big thing, which is um, if we don't have risk, do we really need faith? And uh, I know risk is hard. It's really, really scary. But uh, this is a God who has promised that he will always bless us and never leave us. So as you contemplate, um, you know, hope and as you contemplate this as your spiritual home, um, meditate and think about God's generosity in all ways, beyond just money. Meditate and think about stepping forward in faith, taking on a little bit of risk um, so that we can all taste his joy in all aspects of our lives. Thanks for considering. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, Check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week. <laughs>